0: You know, I, I agree with most of what Michael said, but I don't know why anybody wants to stay home and watch college football. It's been a lousy day for that, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, no, it's, uh, it is good to see each one. And I, you know, college football is something that even on days when my team loses, I, you know, it's still a great sport. I enjoy it, but it doesn't compare to those things that are most important. And things like this, are what really mattered. And I'm so glad you are here. I appreciate so much the elders asking me to come to be here. I'm thankful that Janet could be with me for these few days and enjoying so much the good hospitality. appreciate those that are visiting with us. And I have been so well fed these last few days, (laughs) really enjoying it. And I'm going to be talking tonight about food in a sense. You know, food's important. You know, in the very beginning, think about how God described the Garden of Eden. The paradise that He placed man in. He speaks of how there was every tree there was good to look at, but it was also good to eat. It was nice. There was just the one tree. Only the one they were not supposed to eat of. But He gave them all that good food. When God is talking to them about the land of Canaan, He would say, a land flowing with Milk and honey. We see how important food was to the Israelites. So often their complaint was, well, "We don't have the food we want." You know, we just have to eat this same old manna. In Isaiah the fifty fifth chapter, there is a prophecy here that really is speaking of the coming of the Messiah, the Messianic Age. And look how he depicts the blessings. He compares them to food. Hope. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. In talking about the blessings of Christ, he talked about food. That would really satisfy food. We wouldn't, that would come without price, meaning by God's grace. I come to the New Testament and I see Jesus as he's going to the cross and he wants mankind to remember the cross. What does he do? He takes bread, he takes the fruit of the vine, and he says, You remember me in this supper. When the Bible is come full circle and we've come from losing the paradise of Genesis to regaining it in Revelation 22 he says there's the tree of life and that you may eat of its fruit you see food is something we all understand we all relate to we consume it on a regular basis well in John the 6th chapter I want you to turn there we have a lesson about food. And by the way, that should say true disciples, plural. Um, you know you know how those computers are. You know, you, you do it just right, and the computer somehow takes it away. Uh, well, maybe not. Um, but anyway, that should be a plural disciples there. In John the sixth chapter, you've got this discussion of food. Jesus feeds the people earthly food in a sense it's miraculously done but then he uses that to talk to them about the kind of food of Isaiah 55 look at John the 6th chapter verse 32 I want you to get this kind of as the overview picture Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you Moses did not give you the bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger. And he who believes in Me shall never thirst. Jesus said, I have a bread for you that is real bread. It's the kind of bread that will satisfy and they said, give it to us. And He said, you're looking at Him. You're looking at the bread that will give true life. I want you to get out of, just have that in your mind. And then I want you to back up with me just to understand the setting of this chapter. I'm not going to read all of the chapters. It's a lengthy chapter. But John, the sixth chapter, takes place about a year before the cross. It was around the time of Passover, which... Passover over a year later is when he will die. And he has entered into what sometimes is referred to as a retirement ministry. He has tried to pull away from the crowds, and he and the disciples spend time alone. Well, he's fairly unsuccessful, we might say, at that, because the crowds go looking for him. And here in the sixth chapter of John, they find him near the Sea of Galilee. Exact location, we don't know. But it was kind of a deserted area near the Sea of Galilee. And then the next day, starting at verse 22, we're going to find Him at Capernaum. What happens in this sixth chapter is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I find it very interesting that you've got the four accounts of Jesus' life until you get to the last, what's called the last week. This is the only story from the life of Jesus that's told in all four Gospels. This feeding of the 5,000 was a very important event. And what happens in this chapter is the crowd's founding and it got late in the day. And Jesus kind of tested the disciples you know, by telling them, you know, you're going to have to feed these people. Oh, well, we don't have enough money. And Jesus takes care of the situation. Having taught them, He performed miracles of healing. He came to the point, He said, what do you have? And they said, well, we've got these five loaves. And I mean, you don't, don't even think in terms of big long loaves of bread like we might get. More like a pancake type of loaf. We've got five of these. We've got a couple of fish, probably dried fish. They would drive them and they could take them with them. And Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people. 5,000 men, it says. Well, at the end of that, the people are really excited. But what Jesus does is He goes away. They want to make Him king. He goes up into the mountain to pray. Sends His disciples across the sea. That night, He comes walking on the water to them. Well, what happens the next day is... The crowd, they come looking for him. They're excited about what he's doing, what he's done. And they find him at at Capernaum. And there at Capernaum, he says to them, you're looking for me for the wrong reason. We're going to look at that in detail in a moment. But he said, "You, you just got the wrong idea here. And then he begins to talk to them about the bread of life. And what we're going to see as we read in a moment is Jesus is trying to give them a spiritual bread. He wants to satisfy the soul. And they just keep thinking the belly. They just keep thinking the stomach. And so at the end of this day, what's going to happen is most of the disciples, you know, those who've been following Him, are going to walk away. They're just going to turn away from Jesus. The apostles They will stay with him. Now let's look at this in a little more detail. I look at this chapter, and the way it starts off to me, it would seem to be a very promising beginning. It says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him. Now notice why they followed him. Because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased it's very typical of John in his account to use the word sign instead of miracle the word miracle stresses power well what is a sign we see signs all the time there's a stop sign there's a speed limit sign there's a sign for the next town signs tell us something signs provide information He says they saw the signs. And if you look at the 20th chapter, in verse 31, I mean verses 30 and 31, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John is saying, the signs. Just like a stop sign tells you something. The signs Jesus did, they told you something. They told you he was the Son of God. They were intended to lead you to faith. Well, the sixth chapter says they saw the signs. But what we're going to see is they didn't really see them. They saw them, but they didn't really grasp them. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, in verse 14, they said this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Again, things look good, don't they? They see the signs. They come looking for Jesus. They said this is the... Notice they didn't say a prophet. They said this is the prophet. Way back in Deuteronomy, You know, almost 1,500 years before Jesus. Deuteronomy 18. God said through Moses, the Lord's going to raise up a prophet like me. That's who they're looking for. And they're saying, this is the prophet. But then in verse 15, you begin to see maybe what... There's more here than this we're seeing at the beginning. It says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come... And take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. All of a sudden, they're going to make him be the king. They're not waiting on his direction, they're not waiting on his instruction. What will become clear is they see a great opportunity here. It was Napoleon who said, an army marches on its stomach. You've got to have your supplies. You've got, to, you know, have all. Can you imagine a king leading an army that he can just take five loaves and two fish and feed a whole army? He's been performing miracles of healing. Can you imagine a king like that in a battle? Somebody gets run through with a spear, he lays hands on them. They're well. Somebody, Jesus had raised the dead. That would make a great king, wouldn't it? if we're thinking of an earthly army. They didn't understand that Jesus was coming to be a king, but not that kind of king. Look at John, the 18th chapter. Verse 33. This is Jesus on trial before Pilate. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to Him, Are you the king of the Jews? That's what the... The Jews were saying about him, he's claiming to be a king. He's setting himself up against Caesar. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? You know, Where did you get that question, Pilate? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I, I don't have an earthly kingdom. Pilate said, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Politics can be a dirty business. There's lying and there's corruption. There's there's a pursuit of power that is just sometimes so shameful. Anything can gain power in politics. Kings of this world, they rule by threat, by intimidation. Jesus said, I rule by truth. I give orders and people of the truth listen to my voice. I'm a king, but it's not like you're thinking. In Colossians, the first chapter, the Apostle Paul would write years later about the kingdom of Christ. It is such a special kingdom, and yet many people still don't grasp it. He says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 13, there are two realms. There are those who are under the power of darkness. Satan rules them. Satan controls. There are those in the kingdom of His dear Son. There are those who have been redeemed through His blood, whose sins have been forgiven. It's not about earthly kingdoms. You can be in America. You can be in Mexico. You can be in France. You can be in Africa. You can be in Asia. Your location geographically, politically doesn't matter. It's your relationship to darkness, to Satan. And Jesus came to deliver us from that. But going back to John 6, these people are not thinking on that level. They are thinking on a very earthly level. Now, in the 6th chapter, you know, you you had that in verse 15, taking Him by force. That they would try to force Jesus... You know, with Jesus, that would just be said, what do you want us to do? Listening for direction. They're trying to make the decisions for Him. That gives us an idea. But again, the next day, at first glance, we might think things are good because they get up and they see Jesus is gone. They go looking for Him. And they find Him. In verse 24, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Well, you think? This is great. They want to see Jesus. Rabbi means teacher. They want to hear from Him. But you see, Jesus knows the hearts of men. And He says, you're not here for the right reason. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. Now, you go back to the very first verse, it said they were following because they saw the signs. What Jesus is saying here is not contradictory. He's saying you saw it, but you didn't really see it. You didn't really grasp it. You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. They saw the sign in the sense of, they were amazed. They knew an ordinary man couldn't turn five loaves and two fish into enough food for 5,000 people and have 12 baskets even to take up afterwards. But when he says you didn't see the sun, he means all you could see was here's a man that can feed us. Here's a man that will fill our bellies again and again and again. He says, no. You didn't understand I could give you food which endures to everlasting life. These people have put some effort into finding Jesus that morning. And so they said, verse 28, well, what then shall we do that we may work the works of God? You know, what do you want us to do? This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. Do you understand? This is really the essence of what it's all about. (coughs) That we put our faith in Jesus. That our focus is not on where's my next meal coming from? You know, what am I going to do for my recreation? You know, where am I going to live? My focus is on Jesus. That's where it ought to be. Well, you look at what happens next. It's just amazing to me. He said, This is what God wants from you. Believe on me. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now you think about this. The day before, they said, This is the prophet. They've seen signs. They've been impressed. They saw enough that they get up and they go hunting for him. And what is it? What do they say? Well, we need something more now. We haven't seen quite enough. Well, you know, Jesus, when Moses had them out in the wilderness, he gave them food every day. He's, they're giving them Jesus a very good suggestion in their mind. You know, if you just feed us every day, if you would allow us to just walk out the door and pick up our bread off the ground, you know, we're going to go with you. And that's when Jesus says to them, you have missed it. You don't understand what happened in the wilderness. You don't understand who I am. You don't understand true bread. Let's begin again at 32. And read the verses we read again. And we're going to read some more. And I want you to really focus on what Jesus said life is about. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. Jump down to 47. Jesus assures them. What Moses gave them, it was a miracle. But he said, they ate that man and they're dead. In fact, if you know your Bible history, you understand that the vast majority of them died in the wilderness, never receiving the promised land. You know, there were 603,548 men who were eligible for service in their army that perished in the wilderness. Or they had the man. But they didn't have the bread that gives you real life. Jesus said, that's me. These people, they wanted loaves and fish. And I asked you, what are we looking for? What is it that we seek? It's sadly, So many people, even in the religious world, that would claim to honor Christ are kind of stuck in a loaves and fishes mentality. You know, the way to bring people, the way to draw people to Jesus is with recreation, with food. In our community, where I live, there was one church, it was a church of Christ. They had a community cookout on the 4th of July, or near the 4th of July, and according to their advertisement, they had hamburgers, hot dogs, chips and drinks, snow cones, cotton candy, face painting, and games. That's their way of reaching out to the community you know this is the time of year you'll see churches having their fall festivals and their trunk or treat you see churches that have baseball teams basketball <clears throat> amazing to me that there are churches that seem to be all about food but then they'll have a weight watchers meeting in the basement you know on Monday you know it's you can, you can gain it on Sunday lose it on Monday they have, they'll call them praise teams. What they are the bands to perform. And the reality is there's nothing like this in the New Testament. If you're committed, as 2 John 1 9 it says, to abiding in the doctrine of Christ, you're not going to find that. You're just not going to see it. Second Timothy 3 16 17, those scriptures that are going to furnish us to every good work, they don't say anything about this kind of approach in fact when I go to 1 Corinthians 11 that seems to be the very approach that Paul condemns I don't know how far it came to the situation where they were where it talks about they were eating their own supper instead of the Lord's supper but he has asked them verse 22 do you not have houses to eat and drink in And in verse 34, he would say, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. When you come together, it's not about this kind of a supper. The New Testament is clear, it's plain. The gospel is God's power to salvation. It's not loaves and fishes. I don't care how we update them, how modern we make our fish. That's not what God intended to draw men. In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, the Apostle says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I didn't try to impress you with Paul in any way. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and the power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't believe it matters that people may have good intentions when they set up this loaves and fishes mentality. If they their intent is well, we really we know that ball teams and. You know, all of this kind of stuff is really not that important, but that's the way we get people to come to Jesus. Jesus could have kept feeding those people, but he didn't. When Paul came to Corinth, he had the ability to do the kind of miracles Jesus had done, but what did he do? He just preached Jesus. He said, I was determined, just Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the approach we must take. And I, and I would challenge you to consider that sometimes we can slip into a little bit of a loaves and fishes mentality and not even realize it. And I mean by that, there are people who would be aghast if the elders said, you know, we're, we're going to start up the East Side you know, Church of Christ softball team." Oh, no, that's not in the Bible. And they'd be right. And yet, they may have an approach that their view of worship, their view of preaching, is not so much about the whole counsel of God. It's not like 2 Timothy 4, reprove, rebuke, exhort. It's all about worship. We ought to leave feeling good. No, sometimes we ought to leave feeling guilty. That's the honest truth. Worship is not about me. But I think sometimes we do that. It's got to be lively. It's got to be enjoyable. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be emotionally stirring. Instead of a presentation of Jesus and His Word and a worship that is designed to give God glory. Yes, it's designed to build one another up. But folks, being built up, being edified is not the same as being entertained. It's not the same as being made to feel good. You know, if you're talking about building up physical muscles, you understand it. it can be a painful process. You know, Coaches aren't lying when they say no pain, no gain. Well, spiritual building up is the same way. Let's be careful of that. Let's truly desire... The bread of life. How do we enjoy the bread of life? Go back to John 6. Verses 44 and 45 to me suggest the real beginning is being taught. You've got to learn. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Some people read verse 44, unless the Father who sent me draws him and they're they're thinking in some kind of a mysterious way that God's going to grab hold of them. Now how does God draw? It's written, they shall all be taught. Those who hear, those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ they are the ones who come to Him. We must hear. We must listen. Look at John 6 and verse 68 Peter said Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The only way to come to know the bread of life is through His word. You know, John 20, I read earlier. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have everlasting life. Romans 10, 17 would say, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How does the Father draw? He presents to us the story of Jesus Christ. There are those who will reject it, as we will see in this chapter in a few moments. But then there are those who they will see the signs. They will truly grasp this is the Son of God. This is not somebody just going to fill my belly. No, this is somebody who will satisfy my soul. This is somebody who will give me a life beyond this life. You've got to be taught. And I want to encourage you, crave. The bread of life. Crave knowledge. You know, it's not just because I'm a teacher. and because I preach that I want people to to crave preaching of the gospel. To crave Bible study. It's because this is the only way to know Jesus. But we're not eating the bread of life merely by learning some things about the bread of life. We've got to do the will of the Father. You look at past, look at chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus said, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me." Hebrews 10:7 quotes the prophet. And he says, "It's written in your book, I have come to do your will, O Father." When I eat the flesh of Jesus, when I drink his blood, you know, when I'm taking him in, that I'm going to be like Him. He came to do the Father's will. He came to be obedient to the Father. I'm two for two on my lessons before tonight, and I'll be three for three now in mentioning Matthew 7. There are people that said, Lord, Lord, but they didn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Because He said, it's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of the Father. We can call Jesus Lord. Lord. We can talk about, oh, how I love Jesus. We can sing the song from the, you know, scream it out. But if we don't do the will of Jesus, if we don't listen to Him, we don't love Him. We're not craving that bread of life. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 says, Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to those who obey Him. We've got to understand who Jesus is. We've got to desire to know Him. But then we've got to want to follow him, and I don't want to. Say, I think, in some degree, it goes even beyond that. You've heard the expression, "You are what you eat." You know, I hope <laughs> I hope I'm not avocado and sardines because I eat those sometimes. But but y'all know what we, what we mean. What I eat, you know, in my physical body, it affects me. You know, I eat the wrong foods; I'll be unhealthy. I eat the right things. It promotes good health. With Jesus, it's more. You know, and the reason He uses words, like how many times He used, eat my flesh, drink my blood. I am the bread of life. He's wanting them to see it, that we take Him in. You know, there are people, I'm convinced, they, they take this book, and they say, I'm going to live by the book. Well, let me tell you, I want you to live by the book. But if if that's all you're trying to do, you're going to fail. We talked Thursday evening about how we have to see the Bible through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus. That love of God will make his commandments not burdensome. When we look at Jesus, it's not just that we see, well, there's some instructions to give. I see him as my bread if I see him the way I ought to. I see him as that which I just have to have you know it's not it's not just a book I'm going to follow. there is a person there is Jesus I want him he becomes my focus, he becomes my hope he becomes my strength he becomes my life if I truly understand. The bread of life. You think about some passages. Galatians 2.20. Paul said, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Why did, why did Christ live in him? Well, I think I could paraphrase it, but I want to get it exactly right. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, Paul said, it's not me anymore. Now, he's using a different image here. The crucifixion and living. But it's the concept, I've taken Jesus in. He's become life to me. In chapter 3, verse 27... For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And those words, have put on, it's the same word they would use used to have put on a coat. I've just wrapped myself in him. Colossians, the third chapter. Let these words sink into you. If then you were raised with Christ. Now that's an interesting expression that goes back to the second chapter in verse 12. When he says buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with Him through faith in Christ or through faith in the working of God. When you were baptized, the man of sin died and you were raised up with Him a new creature. But if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. You pay careful attention to verses 3 and 4. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. Too often Christ is kind of a segment of our lives. You know, we've got our life divided up. There's our work. There's our family. There's our recreation. And and, and there's our spiritual side. There's Jesus. We've got a place for Him. But what's it supposed to be? There's supposed to be the realization. It's all about Him. Oh yeah, I've still got to go to work. I've still got obligations toward family. I'm still allowed to enjoy some recreation. But you know Christ, He's in it all. He's over it all. He's guiding it all. You know, the choices that I make in my recreation, the choices I make in my friendships, the choices I make when I'm rearing my children, the choices that I would make when I'm preaching, what they ought to do is reflect Not that Jesus is some little part. They ought to reflect that I've hidden my life with Him. That I understand. You know, I understand when it comes to eating food, I have to have it. The body needs this energy that comes from food. And I ought to say the same thing of Jesus. I can't live without Him. That I have to have Him. He has to be the focus of my life and let me say we may think we've made Jesus the bread of life but the way we live reveals whether that's true or not and sometimes others see more in us than we do ourselves let's make sure our priorities are right I got one little more thing I want to say before I close. After all of this, I want to tell you what I'm talking about tonight is not easy. In John, the sixth chapter, Jesus says all of this about eating the bread of life, eating my flesh, drinking my blood, and in verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, these are people who have been following him, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? The English Standard Version says, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? The New American Standard, this is difficult. Now, I will tell you this, you don't want to imitate these people and their carnal approach. But they weren't lying. The sayings of Jesus are sometimes tough. To choose to follow Him, to choose to make Jesus your life isn't always easy. Because when you decide Jesus is the bread of life, then you have to turn away from some of the world's delicacies. You know, I, on an earthly level. I would seriously like to weigh about fifteen pounds less than what I do. You know, I, I have no illusions about getting to that insurance chart level. But I would like to lose about fifteen pounds. You know why I, why? I haven't lost that fifteen pounds? It's because the thought of losing the fifteen does not weigh heavier on my mind than the enjoyment I get out of an ice cream cone or a piece of fried chicken from time to time. If I'm going to lose that fifteen, I'm really I'm going to have to deprive myself. And when it comes to that, I'm just not ready yet to make that serious a commitment. Well when it comes to the bread of life, to having that life in Jesus, there's some things I have to turn away from. The morality that Jesus asks of us, it's not like the morality of this world. Yeah, you have a passage like 1 Corinthians six, nine and ten. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It's different. And Jesus demands that He be first in my life. Even before my family. He regulates divorce. All these regulations. So yes, sometimes it's hard. So what am I saying? Let's just forget about it. Let's go eat an ice cream cone. No? It is a hard saying and it can be difficult. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 66. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. They were finished. They went off to try something else. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter. Peter wasn't always right. (laughs) Peter made some foolish mistakes. And I, I can tell you, I mean, you don't have to study the life of Jesus much to know. Peter probably didn't grasp everything that was said that day. And Peter would have said the same thing. This is a hard saying. But you know what Peter had come to realize? There's no alternative. If I turn away from Jesus, I miss it all. You turn away from Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. You miss out on heaven. You miss out on the best life here. You just miss out on everything. Eating the bread of life, it can be a challenge at times. It's sometimes, might I say, hard to swallow for the moment. But what's the alternative? I'll tell you what, the devil's delicacies, they're not going to taste very good once I've left this world. Well they may be very alluring, very tempting now. But I better make the right choice, and I' better make the right choice now. Jesus is the daily bread of life. Here you know, we've all seen the food pyramid. You need a little from this group and from that group. Don't put Jesus like that. He's not in the pyramid of life. He is it. He's to be my focus. He is to be the all-consuming focus of my life as I take Him in. And whatever, whatever I do, if I'm going to school, if I'm going to work, I'm living in retirement, I'm going on vacation, Jesus is still. He is my focus. He is my center. He's not a dessert to enjoy from time to time. He's it. Make Him that in your life. I hope this evening that we all, some of us, have made that choice. But sometimes we lose our focus. We need to recapture it. We need to regain it. That Jesus might be our all in all. And if you've never made Jesus the bread of life, you're eating the bread that will one day cause you to perish. Come to Him tonight. Be buried with Christ in baptism, so you can rise with him and have that hope that when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. If we can help you, you come there, stand and sing together. Just. A Tomorrow morning, Lord we're going to in the first part of our worship, we'll talk about the message that our dress may send as disciples of Jesus. And in the second, look at something. All disciples go through tough times. And how, as disciples of Jesus, we can benefit from those bad times that we do not have to allow them to sway us, to deter us from that path that leads to heaven. Satan would use adversity against us. But it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it can be that, which makes us that much stronger. Hope to see you back in the morning. What time is that? Nine 9.30 in
1: September.
0: 9.30. Y'all be here for that.
1: love and fall in heaven with so thankful unto you for blessing each of us to be able to come together tonight and to listen to a few more words of your precious gospel I pray that you will help each of us to be true disciples of yours until this life is over I ask that you would help us to share the good news with others so that your kingdom will grow and many souls will be saved. Help us to meditate on your word always and most of all to live by it. I ask for your forgiveness for our wrongs. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.